There's certain things that God sees and knows is beautiful. And what God is really interested in, in each one of our lives, is that our lives would begin to take on the characteristics of what He sees as true beauty. And the finished work of Jesus is actually designed to cultivate a beautiful life in each one of our lives. Is my life beautiful? When you think about that question, what do you think of first? Maybe the house you live in or the clothes you wear. We all have standards of beauty and not many people live up to their own standards. But in today's message, we're going to learn that God's standards of beauty have very little to do with our outward appearance. Pastor Daniel is going to show us in today's message and in this coming series what true beauty is. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 as he begins his message, Beautiful Fruit. So I have a confession to make. So I have a really interesting taste and preferences for music. So, you know, I grew up playing music my whole life. And, you know, I ended up as a bass player through a lot of different things that gone on, mostly because my parents would let me play drums in the house. And uh, everyone I knew was a guitar player, and I didn't realize that you get a bass, and within one day I was in three bands. It was super cool. I've had gigs ever since. But what happened was, is, you know, I kind of grew up, in a, and being a child of the 80s, obviously, you know, like kind of 80s metal. I'm from New Jersey, so Skid Row, Bon Jovi, all that's like my, those are my people, hometown kind of people. And so, you know, some of you are like, I can't believe he likes that music. But what happened was, as I started to learn the instrument, you know, there's like a genealogy or a family tree of music. And before I knew it, when I was in high school, uh, I was getting into kind of more progressive rock. So you start going backwards in time. You start going into groups like Yes and Genesis, like the Genesis from the 70s, not the 80s, and King Crimson. And then before you know it, I'm involved in jazz. And I end up getting an upright bass, and I love this. And then, you know, what I found was is that as I kind of journeyed in music, I really found my favorite music would be what most people would call avant-garde jazz. I would just call it creative music. My wife would just call it noise. <laughs> and that's my preferred musical preference is kind of cacophonous. It kind of sounds uh, disjointed, angular. There's all these words. for. It. I remember growing up, I used to play with this guy named Ilya. He's a drummer, great guy, super close friend. And we used to talk as young men about like when we go to get married, you know, we're going to give our wives like the music test. That's when you really know if she's going to get in or not. You know what I mean? And so and we would have like, well, when I meet my wife, I'm going to play this song. And if she likes it, you know she's in. And so we had all these, you know, this, all this music. It was like going to be this whole checklist and we'll see if like, and so sure enough, when I met my wife, Lynn, if you know my wife, Lynn at all, my wife's got such a cheery, sunny disposition that any music that even sounds remotely cacophonous is unacceptable. You know what I mean? Like, Linda, she's all major chords all day long. You know, it's like sweet and fun and a little snappy, you know, pretty much all Christian music, you know? And, and so it's funny when we got married, it was like, I'm like, okay, you got to hear this. This is a beautiful song, I'd tell her. And she'd sit down and she'd be like, I'd put it on and she's expecting something like 
kumbaya, you know, so like that. And, and sure enough, it's like these four horn players and they're all playing different notes and one guy's squealing. It sounds like he's bludgeoning an animal. And, and my poor wife, she's so smiley and all of a sudden she's like, like her furrow brows a little bit. And, and she'd be like, can you shut that off for a second? Now we're at a point now where it's like, if I'm listening to music in my study, you know, she'll be like, can you shut the doors? You know what I mean? And so it's funny because I bring all this up because people have different ideas about what is beautiful. You know, like, if you think about even what beauty is, beauty is a set of aesthetics that are pleasing to somebody. Right? Like, it's amazing how you can, if you talk to different people, whether you're looking at music or art or even views of what we think is beautiful in regards to other people, different people have different preferences that they find aesthetically pleasing. You know what I mean? And what's fascinating about that is that really everybody is kind of entitled to their own preferences in that way. It's funny because when you start looking at those things, what one person thinks is the most extraordinary thing, someone else is like, like a good example of this is body art, tattoos and piercings. You know, there's some people who are like, yeah, this is it. Like, like, look what I got here. And someone else is like, ooh, you know? And in that way, like the, the old phrase that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, which means that everyone's entitled to their preferences and what they find to be beautiful. You even think about it from all of these kind of music or artistic, you know, contests on TV, whether it's America's Got Talent or The Voice or American Idol, you know, these different shows. If you sit in a room with people and you watch those, who really likes it? And it's like, I don't really like that. See, so what you find is that different people have different ideas of what is beautiful. Now, the reason I bring this up is because our culture is kind of obsessed with beauty. You know, whether it's beauty in the realm of music or art or it's beauty in the realm of the way we look at people, you know, and what's amazing is if you look at different generations, different generations value different things on the beauty scale as well. Now, what's important, I think, for us is to realize that God also has a standard of beauty. And I don't think we ever think about that because our ideas of what is pleasing is so personal and really so cultural that we don't realize that God who created and sustains everything also has preferences. There's certain things that God sees and knows is beautiful. And what God is really interested in, in each one of our lives, is that our lives would begin to take on the characteristics of what he sees as true beauty. And the finished work of Jesus is actually designed to cultivate a beautiful life in each one of our lives. A quality of the way that we are that all of a sudden now, even though it looks different coming through every person, there's these qualities that God says, that's beautiful. I remember when our son Obadiah was playing soccer, his very first soccer coach used to call soccer the beautiful game. The beautiful game used to call it. Oh, it's a beautiful game. You know, and I remember thinking about that and I started thinking about, you know, in God's eyes, the Christian faith is a beautiful faith because it's the faith that he initiated in his own son that before the foundation of the earth, God had it in mind. But the thing is, if you look at Christianity in the world today, people don't call Christianity the beautiful faith. And I think the reason that's the case is because for many of us, we don't really care as much about what God thinks is beautiful as what we want. 
And that's a problem, isn't it? And like, listen, you know the beauty of who we are here at Crossroads is that we're always just going to tell it like it is, right? Sometimes I like my ideas of beauty and I want them more than I want God's ideas of beauty. I want what I think is right as opposed to what God thinks is right. And so I started searching in the scriptures and saying, you know, okay, Lord, if a beautiful faith, what is a life that you see as beautiful? What is it? What does it look like? How do we understand it? And sure enough, I love the Lord because he's so cool, you know, he's so wise. And what God started to remind me of is that he says, Daniel, there are places in my word that are really popular for a reason. It's funny. It's like, if you ask someone, what John 3.16 in church, at least half the people will get it pretty much right. Now, why, you know, but if I said, what's Leviticus chapter 26, verse four, everyone looks at you like, Right? So why is John 3.16 more popular than Leviticus chapter 26, verse 4? Now, don't, I don't know what Leviticus 26.4 is either, so don't worry. You know? But why is there certain areas in the Bible that all of a sudden, like when people read the Bible, even people who don't even believe in the Bible, when you read it, all of a sudden you're like, there it is. And so what I started to do is I started playing in my heart with different places in Scripture that are the most well-known And what I realized was that God actually explains to us what a beautiful life really is and what he sees to be beauty. And so we're going to explore that together. And I'll be super honest with you. I've been so excited to start this series. I started playing with this literally about nine months ago. Literally, it was like it was the seeds of it were at work in my life and in my heart. And as I've been exploring it, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a kind of an overview today. And then literally in the subsequent messages, we're going to be unpacking this for a while together. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at four sections, four centers in Scripture. And really, two of these centers are going to become what we're going to study together. And so before we do that, Dostoevsky said it this way, that beauty will save the world. And you know, it's like, he's right. What I would say is that beauty has already saved the world, but the work that God wants to do today in this generation, it's about us learning how to walk in this beautiful faith, a life that is truly beautiful. And when we do that, our lives will be reflections of the beauty that has saved the world, and we will see people's lives get changed. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said it this way, we do not merely want to see beauty. God knows even that bounty is enough. We want something else which we can hardly but put into words to be united with the beauty we see to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it and become part of it. That's what we're going to explore together. The idea that as we behold Jesus and the beauty of what God has done, but we don't just see it from a distance, but we find ourselves yearning for true oneness with Jesus. We will find the ways that we live our lives every day will start to change in very profound ways. So in order to start breaking this open together, I want you to open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We're going to start with verses 3 
through 12. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. Matthew is the very first of the books of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels. Of course, if you have a smartphone, if you pull that thing out, type in Matthew 5, verse 3 to 12. It says this. It says, Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, that's verse 2, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, these are known as the Beatitudes. And what's beautiful is if you notice each one of these Beatitudes, and there are nine of them between verses 3 to 12, each one begins with the very same word, which is the word blessed. And I'd like to say it this way. A blessed life is beautiful. A blessed life is beautiful. So in order to put the first foundation stone in, you have to realize that the blessed life is the beautiful life. Now, what's amazing about this, though, is when you read this list, almost all the characteristics that are described here are not things that we would necessarily see as beautiful. Notice, poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecution. Maybe some of those you might grab. But what we learn right away is that the blessed life is beautiful because this is a declaration not of what we're supposed to do, but who we are. Like it's been said this way, and I love this. They're called the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. You like that, huh? Write that down. You can tweet that out. It's real good. Your friends will be impressed. See, the Beatitudes are a declaration of in Christ who we are. And too many of us today in the world that we live in, we think who we are is what we do. And so it's about identity before action into the world. And the Beatitudes function in such a way to tell us who we already are if you are born again. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is who you are in Christ. Now, unfortunately for many of us, we're not living like this at all. But this is who we really are. And now, what's fascinating about this idea of this word blessed, in the Greek word, it's makirios, which literally speaks of somebody who has been blessed by God. You know, the Greek adjective means to be fortunate or to be happy. Now, I think what's fascinating about that is the idea that some of your translations say, oh, how happy. But we don't like the word happy because happiness has been devalued by our culture to mean just feelings of well-being, feelings of circumstantial joy. 
right? And so the problem with the word happy and the way we use it is everyone wants to be happy, but happy is like a fleeting thought. Like, I'm happy, I'm not happy. So I traded my wife and I traded my kids and I get a new family and, you know, and that's the way the culture works. And so happiness has been devalued, but the true happiness it really comes from being blessed by God. It comes from being fortunate. Now, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible that he calls the message, he used the word lucky, which when I say that, many of you guys are like, I don't believe in luck because I believe in God. But the idea of being lucky means the idea of being fortunate. Like when you have luck, the idea is you got something that you didn't deserve and you feel lucky you got it. Like, I'm not recommending it, but if you were to go to the service station and you were to buy a lottery ticket, you get a quick pick, and if it comes out six numbers and a Powerball or whatever, if you win the lottery, you'd say, I'm lucky. It's something that you become for. Now, whether or not you're really lucky or not is a whole different discussion. And even bringing up lotto in church gets people nervous. Because some of you feel convicted because you're always scratching off instead of giving generously to other people. And then others, you think that that's like, I can't believe Fusco would even say that in church. So, you know, I'm going to use that as an example all day long, because if I can walk on a landmine, I'm going to do it, you know? That's just my personality. But the idea of blessedness being a form of holy luck actually is very profound if you're willing to think about it. Because it actually, that lucky idea is actually exactly the meaning of the Greek word. It means not something that you've worked to receive. It's something that you've been given as a gift, not because you deserved it. There's something there for us. And so what you have to realize is, is that true happiness is not just enjoying circumstances. True happiness is realizing that you have been blessed by God, that God has bestowed a life upon you that was not something that you deserve, but he's chosen to give to you and you have received. And the true Beautiful life is one who is existing within this blessing. Now, what's interesting is that it speaks of delight. Now, what's also fascinating, notice it says in each one of these, blessed are, not blessed will be. Do you notice that? So all of this, the state of beautiful blessedness exists in the present tense. It's not in the future tense, and it's not in the past tense. It's designed to be right now. Now, I think that's super important because oftentimes we have this idea that the benefits of Christianity come in the future, and they do, but actually we're getting to live this in the present. You're blessed presently. So this is about not only the next life, but it's about this life as well. Now, also what I think is really fascinating about all of this, and you won't know it from the English language, there's different moods in the Greek verbs, Right? And so what's interesting, and remember I said this is not about what you do, it's about who you are. That's also further exemplified by the fact that in the Greek, if you guys were to pull out your Greek New Testament, I know all of you brought that to church today. Just so you know, I don't bring my Greek New Testament to church either. I just study it in my free time. But the idea is that in the mood, this is in the indicative mood, which literally means, see, oftentimes people teach the Beatitudes and they teach it as an imperative. This is a command of what you have to do. But the mood in the Greek is in the indicative, which literally means it's a statement of fact. That's how I said this is about who we are, not about this is what you have to do, right? And so this speaks about who we truly are 
in Christ. But what is also beautiful is that we constantly see in these Beatitudes this reality that although it's who we are, not what we do, we still have something that we have to do. So we call this at Crossroads simply responding to Jesus for a reason. Because of what God has done, and now all of us are responsible to live, right? And so because of this blessed place that God has put us in Christ, now we have this responsibility to act a certain way. That's why James would say that faith without works is dead. See, faith apart from a way of living that has changed is not faith at all. It's just an idea that you hold in your mind. So God wants what we believe to be lived out. I say it this way, that what God is interested in is theology with legs on it. Right? He wants to put feet on our faith. He wants us to live it out into the world. In applied theology. See, what's amazing is that within the church, there's so much cognitive, theoretical theology that isn't getting lived out. So, like, what good is it for scholars to sit down and debate and argue about the love of God when they don't love God or love each other? Like, it's an adventure in missing the point. Right? It's like saying, I know my spouse because I read a book about them rather than holding their hand, sharing conversations with them. Right? So what God is interested in is a life that's changed, not just us having all the right thoughts. Now, I'm not saying we don't want to have the right thoughts. I'm saying that the right thoughts are not enough. Because you will know that somebody is truly born again by the way that they live, not because they can quote you every Bible verse. And what's amazing is, talk about beauty... I don't think God is impressed with, I know the Bible better than you, and I'm better than you, because it completely misses the Beatitudes, right? We want knowledge that we live out every single day, right? And so this is a statement of fact of who we are, but it's how we live. And I want you to notice this, because in the subsequent weeks, the Beatitudes is going to be one half of what we're going to be breaking open every week. So we're going to be looking at blessed the poor in spirit. You know, so we're going to be taking each message and half of the message is going to be focused on the beatitude. But what's powerful here is I want you to notice, blessed are blank, for theirs is blank. Do you notice that? So what we really see here is that it's unconditionally that for those people who are this, this is what happens. Does that make sense? So who you are leads to some sort of an outcome, some sort of a reality. And I want you to make sure you get that because I think we live in a day and age where it's like, I will live godly if it gets me the outcome that I want. You know, I could follow Jesus and it gets me to heaven, but I'm really going to follow Caesar because it gets me rich, which is trying to serve two masters. But it's unequivocal that if you are this, then this is what happens. Right? And each one of these beatitudes, these statements of fact of who we are, each one of them has this is who you are, and this is what it gets. This is what it gets produced in your life. And I want to make sure you realize that, because really what this speaks of, it speaks of life in God's kingdom. What does it mean? Jesus is real. People have different ideas of what is beautiful. Beauty is a set of aesthetics that are pleasing to a person. We live in a culture obsessed with beauty. But as we learn from Pastor Daniel in today's message, God also has a standard of beauty. What God is really interested in in each of our lives is that we would take on the characteristics of true beauty. 
But do we want our ideas of beauty more than God's? Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will dive into the idea of what it means to be blessed. Have you ever thought of blessings as a sort of holy luck? The blessings of God are something you've been given not because you deserved it. God has bestowed a life on you that you don't deserve, but he gave it to you anyway. Come back next time as Pastor Daniel begins to open up what it means to be blessed. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Beautiful. Until then, may God bless.